recording. Am I doing intro? I think so. <laughs> That's what you wrote. Is that what I said? <laughs> yeah. Don't put this in the show. <laughs> this is the show. Welcome, welcome one and all to Mano a Mano. My name is Jonathan Astro. With me is uh, Ricky Allpike and the wonderful Yuri. How are we, gentlemen? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, good, good. We're here for another go-round. Today's film is Conan the Barbarian, 1982, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm, I'm really excited. What's your relationship to the film, gentlemen? Uh, I, I've seen this film many times in my youth. Uh, I'm a big fan of it. Uh, I haven't seen it for a while, and I, and I think the version that I watched in preparation for this uh, for this podcast was actually more of an extended version. I think because there's stuff in it that that I that I didn't remember. Remember? Oh, so well, you have to tell us what fun. what, the, what yeah. that stuff was. Indeed, uh, I've seen it many many times as well, and not just in my youth. Um, I probably watched it may, maybe last like, maybe ago. last year when we weren't even. You know? <laughs> When we weren't even saying we were going to make a show about oh, it. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's just like every now and again, I you know, you check in with it. It's great. It is great. I saw it, I was lucky enough to see it on the big screen in the Astor Theatre a few years ago. Oh, that's and great. And it was a genuine experience, like really spectacular. And, you know, uh, I, I must say, and I say this every time I mention the Astor Theatre and things I've seen there, it was only when I saw it on the big screen that I was, that I was really overwhelmed by it and completely swept up in the in the story um but still yes no i've seen it a bunch of times as well isn't that weird that like does is this a film that a lot of guys uh have seen a lot of the millennial guys is this a very popular film like that? i think so i think it was very popular on vhs for sure yeah okay because we've all independently we've seen it a lot and that's but we don't talk about it well, I, I, I think it's also very much a, a guy's film um uh, well, you would say that. Well, uh, you know, yeah. I watched this one with my wife, and uh, she was pretty damn bored. She just didn't buy. She was bored. She was really? bored. Didn't didn't buy kind oh. of any of it really. Um, the last didn't one we, buy it. Well, this is an outrage. Wasn't wasn't invested. <laughs> um, so the last one we watched together, she loved and was all over. But um, yeah, this one is like eh. So I think it. It you know. Um, it does seem to be very much a, a guy's movie, if if we're allowed okay. to say that for the next five minutes. Well, we get- <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't watch it. I didn't watch it with my wife, but uh, I know she's a big fan of action films, so I, I think she would have mm. enjoyed this one. M- maybe it's the fantasy element. It, element you know what? She she actually did say, uh, um, whenever they do Viking stuff, I tune out. So maybe that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Warrior. Give us what we desire. It's all drown in lakes of blood. 
is evil, a sorcerer who can summon demons. Now they will know why they are afraid of the dark. Now they will learn why they fear the night. Out of an age undreamed of comes the most incredible adventurer of all. Well, let me just run you through the story quickly in case uh, you can't remember. So, we meet Conan as a child among his people, the Sumerians, and we learn through Conan's father that they worship some god called Crum and uh, that steel holds a bit of a special place among the people. So almost immediately, a band of raiders led by Tulsa Doom, played by James L. Jones, invades the village and they wreak havoc, massacring everyone, including Conan's father and his mother. Very terrifying scene. It seems that Tulsa Doom is the head of some kind of death cult with a distinctive symbol that has like two snake heads, uh, a symbol that we'll see again and again. So Conan is then sold into slavery with other children and attached to a giant wooden mill, which I learned was called the, the Wheel of Pain. And it seems that the others die away over time, but Conan survives into adulthood, becoming an incredible specimen, now Arnold Schwarzenegger, or in Japanese, as they say, Schwachan. Uh, Conan is sold to a ginger-headed master and becomes a gladiator, going on to win bloody fight after bloody fight. He's educated and trained by Eastern masters in swordplay and also given some crumpet on the side as well, um, which is a nice little bonus. One night, his remorseful and wildly successful master lets Conan, Conan go. Uh, Conan is chased, <laughs> chased by wild dogs in the desert and stumbles down into the tomb of an ancient Atlantean warrior, uh, which brings Conan uh, his very own sword. Conan goes in search of the snake cult uh, led by Tulsa Doom, and while having sex with a demonic witch, he learns that he must go to the city of Zamora. He quickly teams up with Sabatai, a wily thief and an archer. Um, he also teams up with a blonde brigand called Valeria. Uh, the trio raid a local snake tower, uh, and steal the Eye of the Serpent, which is a beautiful glowing gem. In a drunken reverie, uh, Conan and Valeria hook up, uh, and shortly after, the trio are captured by city guards and brought before King Osric, played by Max von Sydow. King Osric requests that they rescue his daughter, Yasmina, uh, who has fallen in with Doom's snake cult. He offers them a reward, but they refuse. Conan instead goes off to Doom's temple, uh, the Temple of Set, and is discovered shortly after. He's crucified on the Tree of Woe, Everything's got a really cool name in this. It's not just a tree. It's yeah. the tree of woe. Mm. You know what I mean? So Conan is rescued by Sabatai and Valeria and brought to a wizard to bring him back from the verge of death. Now back from the back from the brink, Conan and his gang decide to rescue the princess uh, from doom. 
They infiltrate one of Doom's orgies and steal the princess and escape. But Doom shoots a snake. And Ricky's nodding. <laughs> He's nodding because of the word orgy that got you there. Yeah. Uh, so a snake arrow into Valeria and she dies, mostly, most likely in payment to the gods for saving Conan earlier. Conan finally nails Doom's main, uh, Doom's main henchmen, uh, the ones who sacked his village, and then also finally tracks down Doom at the Temple of Set. Well, Actually, a different temple. Uh, Doom uh, tells Conan that his life is meaningless without him and that he's essentially Conan's father now. Conan's having uh, none of it, and he kills him uh, and escapes with the princess. All right? That's the story. Do you pay attention to the story when this mo- when you watch this movie, or does the movie just wash over you? No, I, I knew the story well, yeah. And 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 I, I really appreciate his journey from slave to just uh, fully sick barbarian. Fully sick barbarian. <laughs> now, d- d- am I right in assuming that all the other children that kind of get taken, the suggestion is that that it's survival of fittest, right? They, they've all died and Conan has survived. Well, that, but that's ambiguous because they could have been sold off as well. They right? could have, but but I suppose, yeah. What do you reckon, Yuri? No, I'm definitely down with they all died. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it depends on how you interpret it, but I think kind of the point of that wheel is, is to make them strong and, and weed out the weak. It, is that is the wheel of pain doing anything? Is it is it making anything or is it literally just a wheel? <laughs> I think it's literally just a wheel. I'm not sure. And and that, that's one of the questions my wife had is like, what what is that thing? Why is he doing that thing? It's, like, it's I, a Conan I, machine. I think it's just, it's just to make to, Conan. I, I think it could have a practical use as like a flour mill. Potentially, but you never, you know, you don't see anything about. They not don't that call it, it the wheel it, of flower. They call it the wheel <laughs> of pain. Yeah, ex- like I think it's, <laughs> it is a Conan machine. It's how you build Conan. It, it's if you want a, you know, if you want the biggest, baddest motherfucker out there, you just get him to push that for the first twenty-five years of his life. I, I can't see his biceps getting like fully jacked from the wheel of pain. <laughs> you think it's you a know? workout? It's not a very good one. Yuri, what do you reckon of the workout? What's you know, it? I reckon I reckon it's a full body workout. I reckon you'd get all all up in there. I think um, he's right. You know, because eventually you, know. you would you would use your upper body strength to like to take over at some point. You well, know? look, maybe not particularly biceps because biceps is a pulling exercise, but definitely chest and triceps and shoulders—they're all pushing things. So he's, he's, he's constantly pushing. So his biceps and back might be underdeveloped if he's not, you know, supplementing that with, uh, you know, some some cross training and some split workouts. You know, they've got another uh, wheel for that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> then he split workout a smaller <laughs> wheel so he can do work different parts of the body. Well, ma- maybe every now and again he turns around and walks it backwards and pulls it. That that would, yes. ma- you know, that that would do a lot of it. Yes. All right. Well, look, we'll leave the Will of Pain there. Uh, the film, uh, <laughs> film yeah, it cost $20 million and made 68 or somewhere between, you know, 70 to $80 million, which I think was quite successful back then. I didn't really follow it up with anything for a few years, uh, which is a shame. We won't talk about the second one. It's not good. Really. We, we don't need but to talk about that. We don't need to talk about that. It, it's worth mentioning, though, because this this film was supposed to be billed as something akin to a James Bond that would have sequels every year or two coming out. Um, and that's something that uh, I, I think Arnie actually signed on to do four of these pitches. 
Well, Oliver Stone says that they really blew it by not following through with this. So he's one of the writers. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he thinks they totally misunderstood well, it. Well, it. I, I think because the second one was so different. Now, I, I've read uh, – it's actually quite fascinating reading uh, Arnie's biography, um, Total Recall, which for some reason I can't find that book. Uh, I don't have it, okay? It. You've already know, asked I've me. I asked you. Yuri, he's, he's, he's sent me a message <laughs> saying, hey, did I lend you – in other words, did you steal Arnold Schwarzenegger? And then the answer is no, Okay. Well, I, I think I might have to buy it again because it yes. is it is a very entertaining read. Um, but he talks about the fact that the studios wanted it uh, wanted to tone down the violence and the sex so that it would would make a PG rating, and hopefully bringing in a, a wider audience, including younger people. And and uh, Arnie actually met with the producers and said, "This is a bad idea. Don't do it. Don't do it. You're going against what makes this this." this film the original film and what what could be a franchise really cool and uh they went for that pg rating and you know here we are today i hate those people why they did blow it though no but that that is a terrible decision and uh, that's what i was going to say this movie what struck me about this movie is that it's a fantasy movie for adults and you know, because it was on um, while my wife was just uh, breastfeeding our daughter, uh, and um, you know, we're just giving her, giving the little one a bit of a, you know, I don't know, a bit of an education, a cinematic <laughs> education early, okay. And I was just, just remarking, pontificating, if you will, to the both of them, uh, that this is as close to a kids' film as they used to do. Really, you know what I mean? Like if it was a kids' film, it was a, it was like Alice in Wonderland, and then this was no, no, no. Um, very much for for adults or or or, or uh, if kids well actually I presumably back then you could just bring your kids because it just seemed a bit like a bit of a loose affair <laughs> you, know, you just sort of bring your bring your bring your kids and go anyway we're going to, we're going to a movie I'm going to a movie and you're coming so uh, but it, this was um, you know bloody and and erotic in parts and and dangerous and scary but it's the themes. That's what makes an, an adult story. We, we begin with a Nietzsche quote. We've got references to Genghis Khan and history. And uh, it's a frightening philosophical exploration. Even even the, the, the sort of the, the, dare I say, the existential ending of killing. Because uh, the thing is, Tulsa Doom's right. His life is sort of a bit meaningless without him. And, uh, and, uh, and that is a frightening sort of ending it's not as triumphant as it could be you know what i mean and uh so all of this is to say that it's a very adult experience my child you have come to me my son for who now is your father if it is not me who gave you the will to live i am the wellspring from which you flow when I am gone, you will have never been. What will your world be without me? My son. My son. Like, because I think the subsequent versions, that version, I haven't even seen the remake, the, the one they did a few years ago with Jason, what's his face, or whatever. Um, Momoa, is he the guy? A- in Aquaman. It? They did it with Aquaman. They did it with Aquaman. And the point is, I feel like, you know, that wouldn't have the intellectual grunt that this movie has. 
which is why it's great because it's Oliver Stone and John Mulius, and we can get into that in a second. But it just we also wouldn't have those adult themes. Again, it's that view of why you think it's great. Oh, yeah, I know why it's great. And then you then they pull it off, and it's Conan the Destroyer, second one, and you go, okay, you, you guys don't get it. You don't know. You don't know yeah, why it's yeah. great. It's great because this movie's fucking terrifying as well. The big the, the opening scene of the sack of the village is dreadful. Yeah. It's just dreadful. But also, just to go back to what you were talking about with the ending, I remember even as a young, like a fairly young, like a teenager or something, thinking that that's a really sad and tragic ending. Cause, and, and I didn't think initially I even picked up on that dialogue of what Thulsa Doom was saying to him. I think I just saw it and, you know, see him finally behead him. And then I, I think internally I had the thought, oh, now what's he going to do? Yeah. Like his yeah. whole life, his whole purpose has been to this moment and has achieved it. And it's, it's almost like the end of um, The Graduate. You just kind of go, oh, shit, now what? <laughs> Great reference. Yes, <laughs> and very, that, I get that, yes. And it's even set up and then, and then you kind of got the epilogue later where he's become a king by his own hand, but he's old and he's slumped on his throne and he's just holding himself up. He looks bored out of his fucking mind. <laughs> it, it's like this. Well, he looks very his, tired. That's what. Yeah, I got from that's it. Like, well, yeah. tired and bored and broken and and just kind of you know, it 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 just seemed like this was his pinnacle. This was his heyday, like and mm. and and then now it's over. Well, I think that has has a sort of a real world situation in sport because you see a lot of top athletes who have walked worked since you know since adolescence through to be you know top in their game whatever code of sport we're talking about and then uh because you know athletes they they only have a fairly short short career uh they're in their 30s and they've finished and what do they do now you know and and you see a lot of those guys you know fall into depression and you know don't don't really have a sense of purpose anymore so so that's a real problem in the sports world but it's interesting that prologue you you mentioned was actually the start of the film but the, the 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 studio heads didn't want it that way, so they didn't want it at all. So they decided to put it at the end. Mm-hmm. Oh, him being a bored on, king on the throne, yeah, yeah, because it is a it's a it's it's a downer. Yeah, mm. you know, we're not it, it it what it creates is well, it's a, technically it's a, a a very minor flashback structure if you did it that way. But but what it creates is is a second order story. It means that the story we're watching is a second order story, and the first order story is actually that he's a bored king remembering when he was great. And then you don't want that. You want to be immediate. We want to live in the days of Conan. Uh, you know, I, I think we get enough out of the kids chroniclers. G up at the beginning when he says, "This is the what is it the tale uh, the days of high adventure," and you go, "Oh yeah!" And then it's like goes from a black screen to lighting up with molten uh, steel. Yeah, I'm getting chills just thinking yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, like, the opening is amazing. What a beginning! What a beginning! Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. Like, there's barely any dialogue in the first, I don't know how long it takes. There's almost nothing is said. It's 20 minutes before Arnie says anything. Yeah. And, and, even and collectively, if he doesn't say much. And even the people who do talk, it's, you know, his father opens and then after that, it's almost like 
dead silence apart from the odd sentence for. But that's good. That's the power of cinema, though. Yeah, that's that what I mean. Tell, it, you it can is. tell stories using images, using music, and and you don't need much dialogue. And 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 they make for very good films. This is the best kind of film. And I remember I was struck by when I saw it on the big screen. This is what got me. It was like. I was totally in it, and it was pure cinema, no talking, and and only images and music, and 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 this that's what cinema is meant to be. Remember, we we had twenty seven years of images and music before we had dialogue, which 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 actually set everything back. The moment they brought in dialogue, the camera stopped moving, and and it was planted, and there yep. were giant mics hidden in flower pots and stuff like that. So this was. Very pure, and I was totally overwhelmed and, and caught up in, in in it. And so I'm totally with you. This is pure cinema, and it's the minimal dialogue. And do you think these fucking Marvel movies would work with this amount of dialogue? I don't care which one. Take the most elemental one, Thor, whatever, whichever one is the most suited to this kind of uh, something that's close to Conan in, in what it's trying to do. Could we strip out all of almost all of the dialogue and have it work? I think you could, and I think they'd be better for it. I definitely think they'd be better. And, and you know, a, a part of what, like, it really does get you into that mood, but it also elevates all the performances of everyone in there. So, um, and, and even even kind of the moments. So when his mother gets beheaded, there's there's no talking, but you know exactly what's going on. You can just, with the looks and the back and forth and the pauses, you can tell when Thulsa Doom steps off the thing, and then you can tell there's something magical about what he's doing. He, he, he entrances his mother in some sort of way that she drops her guard. And then even the kid's performance in it is great. So you see him holding hands with his mom and she's, you know, the, the top of her head is out of shot and you just see her head drop and she falls away and he's just left staring at his own hand. And it's like, like a wonderful oh. performance from that child. And out of focus in the foreground yeah. as well. And and, you know? he, and he's like, but if you had him fucking start flapping his little mouth, it'd turn into fucking Anakin Skywalker in the prequels or some shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> Come on, yeah. And, but you the, know, that, yeah. if, if you had his mother flapping her mouth as well, because, I mean, n- none of them, none of these people, especially such minor characters, were like exemplary actors, it would turn into like shitty trying to be hard woman. But without any of the dialogue... She's fucking hard. I mean, she's like, she's the last one left. She's standing up for herself in front of this army. And it's not until something supernatural happens that, that you know, she, she kind of loses out. So you're just going to go, yeah, she's a fucking badass. But, but you've mentioned it now. I feel like these Marvel movies, because mostly I go on about them and they really piss me off. But at the same time, if they were more silent in, in a way, if they were more image-based, what it would take away is... You wouldn't be able to have sass. You wouldn't be able to have mm. cynicism because it doesn't work with images, really. Not really. Not in the same way. You wouldn't be able to have quips and fucking Tony Stark bullshit. So what you'd be left with is poetry, visual poetry, lyricism. You just have to go, okay, well, we're just going to have to have the images are just going to have to speak for themselves. And whatever's on the person's face is going to have to speak for itself. You know what I mean? And so that's where we get those stoical that's why Arnie's so good in this movie, is because that's why it's one of arguably one of his greatest roles. Like I think Predator is probably for me his greatest role. Like I think that's the one where he is that guy. He is Dutch. Do you know what I mean? Something about that. But with this, I think, is the number you know right up there because he doesn't say anything. You know, um, 
and and it's just I feel like all of these these movies now could be could benefit from taking out the fucking dialogue and and look actually we won't go off into too much of this but you know you just mentioned fucking Star Wars I didn't bring it up okay now Yuri I know you've been watching Obi Wan did has that got people flapping <laughs> their gums <laughs> your face shows it all pieces? there Yuri I mean I I watched like the first one and a I don't know. I don't know how much of the second episode I actually one and twenty one and twenty percent. I mean, I didn't turn it off. Like it ran to the end, but I wasn't watching the whole time. And it was one of the most boring pieces of shit. I was so incredibly bored. Uh, and apparently, um, episode three has come out since then. And apparently, episode three is noticeably worse. But <laughs> I don't know. From what I saw, I don't know okay. where the fuck they could have gone to make it worse. I mean, it, it's just absolute garbage. And a, a lot of the, I think, criticism seems to be aimed at the um, uh, the female, uh, what the fuck are they called? Inquisitors. Inquisitors. I can, I'm, I'm happy that Ricky. I can never remember that fucking name. Ricky, it's just the Inquisitor. What? <laughs> what, what is that? I was going to say Jedi. I'm like, how can you forget the word <laughs> Jedi? <laughs> Angry. I don't know what the fuck they are, but anyway. Um, <laughs> so she's been copying uh, a lot of shit, um, and you know, Disney say it's because you're racist because she's a mm. woman of color, oh. um, yeah. but really, it's because she's a, a bad actress and it's a terribly written character, and she is nonstop over talking, trying to act hard, mm. and and it it completely undoes it. It's like anyone. Acting hard isn't just be hard, say less, do more. That's what. Well, that's why the the women in this film, to bring it back to Conan, uh, Conan's mum in the beginning, but then also Valeria. I mean, they're yeah. very strong women. Uh, they can handle themselves. They've also they're all all the chicks are kind of a bit Melania Trump hot. They are, hmm. yeah. You know, don't you think they've got that sort of like? Well, certainly the mum. Well, they've got know? that Viking look about them, don't they? That mm. that northern European sort of yep. tall, light, you know, fair um, sort of look. Mm. But they're pretty hard without without having to have sassy one liners and shit. You know? Exactly. I mean, I mean, they just are are pretty tough. Well, because they spend more time actually doing things and showing that they're capable as opposed to flapping about it. She she has her quips, which um, I didn't realize was from this movie because I know it from Starship Troopers. Do you want to live forever? So she, you know, th- th- there's like a bit of those sort of quips. It's like they don't have to be robots. That's fine. But before then, she proved all how capable she was by just doing awesome badass but, shit. But that one liner that does tie in sort of to her philosophical bent about living for the moment. And yeah, exactly. You know, taking life by the balls. You know, you are not a god. Neither are you. You're thieves. <laughs> like yourself. Come to climb the tower. You don't even have a rope. <laughs> Two fools who laugh at death. Do you know what horrors lie beyond that wall? No. Then you go first. She is a dancer and a, you know, I think um, was in all that jazz, another great film. And. So what you get is Milius casting someone with a great physicality. He, he's even told her, I've heard her speaking, he said, you know, you look the part, you know, you've got that physicality and I just want you to be this character. And so what we get is we don't have, again, this sort of Disney Marvel, okay, I'm going to kick your butt. 
you know, like, and then some horrible quip, you know, like, but it's, she can't do it. Like she's not, to be frank, and this is good. She's not a a proper actress in that way. In 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 that in that way of because um, she's a you know come from other traditions. She's she's focusing. She is in the moment, and she's just doing what she has to do. And that's why she's great. Like, there are a lot of art, uh, there are a lot of films and a lot of uh, uh, performances that prove that you don't have to be an actor to to do a great performance. And and this is a great performance. It's it's totally exactly what it needs to be. Whereas now, well, now she would be the lead. <laughs> it would be called Valeria. It would be called. She would be Conan. It would be Conan. No, no, no. It, it, it would still be called Conan the Barbarian, and there would still be a male character, but the story would be all about how incompetent he is and how she yeah, has they to did, keep saving his they did this in They did this in the He Man, the Kevin Smith He Man that he remade. Um, That's what everyone is saying that Obi Wan is going to be about. They yeah. Everyone can see the writing on the wall that they're turning it. Because Obi Wan's a fucking bumbling idiot in in it as well. Why do they do this though? But what, I don't understand why this seems to be a key, a key. I don't I don't have the words like an, an ideological d- difference between, you know, a set of creatives who look at looked at Frank Frazetta's paintings and the stories of Robert E. Howard of Conan and went, okay, well I know what it is. It's Conan, it's the story of Conan, and you know, and his offsider, and at the post, it's going to be him standing there, and, the, and where's the chick going to be? Uh, at his at his feet, like holding on to him, like because he is a big, strong, awesome guy, and you know, she's she's all about that, he's all about that. That's how it's going to go. And then this other group of film uh, of creatives now who who go, okay, no, I oh, I know what to do, I know it. So anyway, there's Conan, and he's a real fucking idiot. He's a bumbling fool. He's second fiddle. She's the one really doing it. And he's and that's how they would fashion it. I could picture it now. And it's like they would spend the whole show, whether it's called Obi-Wan or Conan, they would spend it apologizing for the fact that it's called Obi-Wan or Conan. They'd say, we're so sorry. Um, it's okay. He's not that good. She's the best. Um, you know, he's a punk bitch. And they would find all these ways of undermining. And not in a cool way, not in the way that, like, you know, in Skyfall and in uh the later Batman's Christian Bale Batman's where they're injured and damaged and they bring it they're, they're saying like you know you're not what you were and all that stuff that's different that's that's yeah. something an obstacle they have to overcome personally and and that makes it better whereas I find that now this is the most dangerous thing is 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 getting these franchises and then yeah making these apologetic despicable uh hit pieces you know where when you end up watching it and go what the fuck is this? Wait, is this Conan or is this what? What am I watching? You know. Well, it's it's like they're 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 horribly and artlessly trying to smash together um, name recognition with this new fucking wokeish ideological bullshit of of basically all men, especially white men, are, are, are fucking evil and morons and stupid. I mean, they, they did the same thing with fucking Loki as well, where, you know, it's called that, but it's like, oh, but actually the biggest badass one is like the single female Loki. And But that doesn't make sense. He's a full, like, la femme. Like, he's not, you know, why do we have to make apologies for him? He's a girly man. Because he hasn't ca- he hasn't come out <laughs> as a as a brave, strong trans woman yet. Actually, they made their apologies in that show, apparently. Not that I watched it, where it was, he was like, he's basically, like... <laughs> they should just have him say, turn to the camera in the first five minutes and say, I go both ways. 
And then like, and then he just keeps going on with the show like normal. And everyone goes, oh, okay. It's okay. It's okay because he goes both ways. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are you saying that there's only two genders? Both ways? How dare you? When I say both ways, uh, I mean. Both ways uh, on the spectrum. On the spectrum of, of, <laughs> of, you know, not just Dick and Fanny. I mean, everything in every, between. Everything else you can be. <laughs> every way. You go every way, okay? <laughs> <laughs> words are violence and you have to be careful with your words. I am careful with my words. Well, what, what I like about this film, um, the quote, that which does not kill us makes us stronger. Do you think this is the most anti-snowflake film ever made? Absolutely. Or particularly particularly in terms of like the action genre, because it's all about overcoming adversity and that adversity making you who you are. Absolutely. And and I think that's the whole point of the the, the wheel of pain. Is that what it was called? I think I think that's back, back to the wheel of pain. Yeah. Yes. It's almost like the whole point of that thing. It's like you're a child, your dad gets eaten by dogs, your mother gets beheaded in front of you, and then you get tied to a fucking wheel. And, and you watch Just deal it, you with know, it. everyone else you know die around you, then you get thrown into a fighting pit. I mean, they don't give him any training before they throw him in the first time. They just fucking throw him in there. And you go- No, no, no. All of that stuff happened to him. This, that's the patriarchy, isn't it? <laughs> isn't that what I thought? I watched it and I went, oh, the patriarchy needs to be smashed. And isn't that what he does at the end? He cuts off Tosadum's head and he kills the patriarchy or- I I, there, there, I have got a different read on that ending, which we'll get to in reviews. Oh, I like this. But but maybe we should talk about the violence because the violence uh, very much polarized uh, critics at the time. And now the version that I saw, I'm and so I noticed that when they first go into uh, whatever the, the the temple is where Thulsa Doom is, just before the orgy, they're sort of going through this area where they have all these corpses that they're preparing oh, yes. to put inside the soup. Yes. So I, I think that in the version I saw, that was kind of extended. It was made more explicit. You see these torsos mm. and it's it's really kind of gross because there, there is that green sort of soup that that you see the, the slut, or they're kind of like big muscle guys that could be slaves or whatever, like set on top just, uh, just above the orgy that everyone's going to be eating from. And you see that woman like eating a hand. Which eating eating a hand. Yeah. Mm. Not even like... I don't know, not even like the rump steak, so it's the hand, Mm-mm. you know. So, so the other thing that I noticed is when, uh, when Arnie, when, when Conan cuts off Thulsa Doom's head, it's much more graphic and it takes him a few blows to do it and there's a lot more blood. Uh, I don't remember that being there in the version that I saw Maybe previously. you just saw the TV version. Maybe, I'm not sure. On VHS. Um, possibly, but this was much more graphic. Um, mm. And so, some some of the things they did for this for this film, they had um, I think they had actual real blood from a slaughterhouse or something that they used uh, as blood in this film, and they had lots of blood packs within. Sort of, uh, they had um, a guy created a whole bunch of dummies for particular shots where you know Arnie or whoever you know slashes them with the sword, and then they were filled with blood packs. They'd go over, but they even had inside the swords they would have some sort of tubing. That would spray blood as well when it when they struck. But this is important though because Katie mentioned it uh, last night as well while watching. She she goes, "Oh man, they love throwing the claret around." And I said, "Yeah, well, you know, the biggest crime of a lot of of a lot of modern films, particularly these fantasy movies, is the disconnection of violence with consequence." Mm, yeah. Now, you know, I mean, 
I don't know if you guys have seen the staircase, that documentary, but like that woman allegedly just fell down a fucking staircase and there was blood everywhere, yeah, yep. everywhere. Mm-hmm. So it's like, that's what happens. Like the moment people are throwing punches or, or let alone knives, swords, there is blood everywhere. And that's the cost of violence. Violence is fucking horrible. And that's the point. Like this wasn't nice violence. It was nasty and ugly. And that's the point of it. And, you know, the the worst kind of action is the one that that just divorces it and has it be. That's why I don't like John Wick. I think John Wick would be a completely different movie if you if we got the blood pack guys involved. We're like anyway, it's the same movie. Don't worry, it's all there. We just brought the blood pack guys on, and they'd go oh, oh, because suddenly it would just be explosions of blood everywhere, and everyone would go oh, this is nasty. It's not cool. Well, we mentioned Arnie's voice a little bit before that, that he doesn't he doesn't speak much. Uh, I, I've heard a few reviews, including Roger Ebert, that actually like the fact that he has a thick Austrian accent because it kind of works with the fact that he's so, you know from some long lost, now extinct tribe from the <laughs> the from the Bronze Age. You know, I mean, they, they didn't have American accents back then. You know. Yeah, but that's the ultimate Western perspective is to go, oh, he's Sumerian. He's just from some weird place. And you go, he's from Austria. <laughs> yeah. Some weird place, you know? No, I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's what Yves saying, you know? He's yes, like, that's you right. Because right. back then it's like just, oh, yeah, so exotic. And it's like, well, not if you're from Austria. Isn't it like just that's his, just, that's his just accent? how they talk. Well, I remember from way back in the day there was like a – rumor floating around that during the filming Arnold was illiterate and he had to have his lines read to him and then I later found out I think it was maybe watching the director's commentary on the DVD by the way if you have a DVD of this with a commentary you should watch it Arnold is fucking hilarious because all he does is literally point out exactly what you're looking at. It's fucking great. I hate that. He, I've listened to the Total Recall one. It's the same shit. Like, Because you look at the back and you go, oh, my God, I'm sure he's going to speak about this. And then when you hear him speak about these movies, he's literally he's, – it's the, the most – it's zero value add. Like you watch it oh, and you go – absolutely. Yeah. Mm. I just heard him narrate this scene. Yeah. In his uh, accent. It starts with, oh, here we are. This is the start of the movie. Oh, this is the sword being poured. And you go – I know, mate, I can see it. Uh, but anyway, he um, what, what actually happened was because this was his first big role, he just asked the director, just say it how you want me to say it. So he would just parrot the director, um, Milius Milius. John Milius. Milius. He just asked Milius, you know, you just tell me how you want me to say it and I'll, and I'll parrot it. And then apparently it was working so well that James Earl Jones, who was an established actor, started going, hey, hey, John. Just tell me how to say it as well, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I, I, I think I remember reading in the biography that his not yet wife helped to teach him to read, I think. But that would be read English. Maria read Schreiber? English. Yeah. He wasn't a stupid man. And um, I, I've, I've got a fair bit of background. So he grew up incredibly poor. Uh, so his house had no heating or internal plumbing. Uh, from the age of 15, he had to pay rent at home. He had a terrible relationship with his father, which we can get more into because there's a lot of shit there. Um, he moved to the US at 21 and started a bricklaying business with uh, one of his um, bodybuilding friends, Franco Colombo, who's actually, well, this movie is actually full of pro bodybuilders, but he's the one, he's the, at the very beginning, he's the scout 
that oh the guy Conan who jumps up on the, on the rock yeah who's like got the crazy hair and is painted yeah uh, so they started a bricklaying business um didn't get anywhere until they rebranded themselves as european bricklayers with european expertise charging european prices and then made a fucking killing and then hired a whole bunch of other bodybuilders to come into this business so this was all in in like kind of you know around muscle beach and shit so it seemed like a lot of what they were also being paid for is by you know a lot of rich housewives to have these strapping European men yep. around working around their properties. Uh, <laughs> then he took the money he made from that and invested it into real estate. And he was apparently uh, a, a millionaire before he actually even got into acting. Yeah, he was. Yeah. So wow. incredibly like resourceful and, and quite intelligent dude. What well, one of the great things I got from his book was that he was very good at setting goals, both short term, medium term and long term. And working towards those goals and i mean when you think about all the stuff he's done in his life like he's he's top of the game in terms of bodybuilding like winning all the you know competitions and stuff uh then you know yeah successful businessman with with his like bricklaying and and i think also like maintenance and repair and stuff and then you know real estate then you know one of the highest paid actors of all time then gets into politics becomes governor of of california I mean, this guy is so driven and he talks about it in his book. He's like, you know, he meets young people who say, oh, that, you know, they don't have time to do stuff and study at university. And he's like, that's how, bullshit. How, how you know? long are you sleeping for? If you're sleeping for five, six hours a night, <laughs> sleep, sleep faster. <laughs> yeah. But no, and no, you're, you're right. And um, Bill Burr has got a great bit about this as well, actually. And, and not just that. So he comes over like looking like he does with a big gap in his teeth with that ridiculous accent becomes one of the most highly paid actors in the world, which you kind of go, that would never work. He also marries into the closest thing America has to royalty. Yeah. Kennedy's. He, he marries into the fucking Kennedy family yeah. and, and then becomes and cheats on governor. Wow. Yeah. That's when you know maid. your rock and roll. When you marry into the Kennedys and then you say, today I want the, the, the house, the, just the maid. That's what Consuela. I want. Yeah, and then just have full kids with her and still come out on top. Right. <laughs> well, uh, I want to talk about the music here because there's a lot to say about the music. Uh, I think what makes this film legit is the score. I think it adds the glue that makes this film. And without it, I think the film would probably seem a little bit silly. And I think someone in the studio was was pushing for more of a more of a sort of a pop contemporary score. But uh, the director and the producer, they were adamant that, no, it has to be big and it has to be, you know, more of an orchestral bent, you know. But I think that the, the craft in this score is amazing. It's so well orchestrated and the melodies are instantly singable as well. Like uh, using long developed melodies seems to be a little bit out of fashion today, particularly with like Hans Zimmer scores and, and the imitations that, that he sort of spawned as well. Uh, but this score really shows the power of melody. Uh, so it was written by uh, Basil Poldurus. Polydurus. Polydurus. And um, he wrote two hours of music for this for this film. Uh, and it's one of the most heavily scored films since uh, Star Wars. So these sorts of scores were kind of waning in fashion. John Williams kind of brought them back with Star Wars. And then, you know, a few years later, this one comes along. 
Um, so the composer told Starlog magazine at the time that um, it was always in John's mind, that's the director, that Conan would be solid music like an opera from the first frame of reel one to the end of reel three to the, the uh, Wheel of Pain sequence is one long cue without any break. I was terrified when I first realized that. So the score, you know, we've talked about that, that there's not much dialogue in this film. So the score feels long, dialogue-free interludes, and it, it, it helps to suggest the atmosphere of, of what they call the Hyborian Hi Age. I think that's sort of this mythical age that um, the original Conan wrote a sort of invented, a bit like Tolkien's Middle Earth, I think. So he used two separate orchestras and a choir, which were recorded in Rome, uh, and he start he started work actually based on nothing more than just storyboards. So and he, he modified his pieces as the film sort of progressed, which I argue is a really good way to work. If you if you've got the time and you've got someone as a director, you've got a composer who you're a good collaborator with, getting them in early actually actually really helps. And uh, you end up with a really good product, I think. And so the string writing in the score is is kind of noble and regal, but also really romantic. And um, I think it suggests Conan's heroic nature. So I've got I've got four little pieces that I wanted to play, starting with the Anvil of Crom. So this is the opening of the film. So we've talked about how cool the opening is with the, the mm. just the amazing text and the the sort of the forging of the sword as well. So you get this driving orchestral percussion, uh, which is really headed up by the timpanis. Uh, and I always wondered how the brass sounded so fat in this film. And that's because he's got 24 French horns in the orchestra when a standard orchestra has six. So uh, let me play you a little bit of this one. So how cool is that? Is that opening with the huge drums and the brass? Iconic. But also you get that. It, it sh the piece also shows off the romantic string melody in full flight as well. Uh, and, and that that theme, that sort of love theme, I guess the Conan theme, is infused throughout the whole score and it pops up in many different different places. Um, but it really gets your heart moving from like the the opening when those drums come in. It's just it's just boss. It's fucking awesome. Well, and it marries perfectly with the imagery as well. We've got we've got blacksmith. Uh, you know, hammers. Yeah. Then uh, this next one I want to play is The Gift of Fury. This is where uh, Thulsa Doom cuts off uh, Conan's mum's head. So the tragedy of this scene uh, and its music, it's, it's probably as powerful as you're going to hear. And uh, after the string climax, uh, the cue winds down with, with an oboe and an English horn, sort of stating that uh, sort of a different version of the Conan theme. Um, it's, uh, it's really quite moving.
it's just so emotive uh, when Thulsa Doom is is doing that thing with his eyes and he's sort of I guess hypnotizing Conan's mum and just um, and then when he whips around and cuts her head off, it's just um, yeah, the music in that that particular scene is, is fucking amazing. Choral as well. We don't hear enough cho- choral. Like choir stuff anymore that's right yeah so so the orchestra also had had a choir involved and i i did read somewhere that they're they're singing sort of quasi latin so it's sort of latin sounding yeah text i don't know that, yes. that was, that's always the scariest latin's always the scary the omen yeah the omen scary that's latin right. words yeah yeah you know? uh another standout from the score is the, the orgy theme I'm sure you can agree. It's a fucking you awesome scene. Lit up every time the word orgy's <laughs> been said. By the way, uh, so this is um, this is kind of a, a what starts out as a pretty light um, orgy. <laughs> yeah, light orgy, a, a light <laughs> a light piece of music. Uh, when, when Conan and his friends sort of infiltrate uh, Thulsa Doom's place, and um, so so it incorporates strings and winds, but it's also got. Um, sort of a folksy tambourine and finger symbol sort of thing going on there. Uh, and it also builds in manner uh, very much like Ravel's Bolero uh, when, when the action kicks in. I remember that one from very early on in the piece. That, yeah, that one really stuck with me. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of these, when you rewatch the film after a while, you're like, oh, yeah, like I remember all this music. Like it's just yeah, so got- uh, it's just so evocative. Quick, um, quickly, sing me the Avengers theme. <laughs> <laughs> Can't do I, it, and, you? Well, I haven't seen the Avengers, but <laughs> I get what you're saying. <laughs> so the love theme always gives me uh it always moves me and gives me goosebumps so uh you've got this instrument called the english horn which is sort of a, a it sits within the range uh sort of lower than an oboe but higher than a bassoon it sort of fits in its middle range it's often used as a solo instrument um to play these sort of romantic type melodies uh or tragic type melodies as well uh, so the English horn starts this melody off and the strings take over and push it to a climactic point. Uh, also, you know, the French horn sections there as well, uh, underscoring that um, before the, the, the English horn takes over again. Swelling. Well, uh, I'm glad you, you actually played that bit because I um, I kind of really thought this on this viewing where the, the relationship between Conan and Valeria, it's basically that one single montage sequence and it's basically just like a night 
but you get their relationship feels so much more real and intimate and and solid than a lot that I've seen in in kind of movies like like um, I, I remember thinking you know c- contrasting Valeria a fair bit with with the recent fucking Wonder Woman reboot and and I saw the first one and she's meant to have some fucking relationship with um Chris you know, Pine new new Kirk um yeah. and like you just don't buy a fucking bar of it at all and you, you just don't buy any of it and it all seems kind of tacked on and underdeveloped and all the rest of it and they have I a would say that fucking movie I- I believe all women, and I believe women should get what they want, which is Chris Pine getting pegged for that whole movie. Okay? But that's the thing. I didn't believe that she fucking wanted a bar of him. I, I believe he was just there. Well, see, I think it just shows that what, that, that all you need is to have the, the tools of cinema, like like the visual yeah. tools and the, the amazing emotion that, that a good score can give you as well to, to convey that. You don't need an entire movie uh, you know, with with you know two two leads interacting with each other, you know, it, it, it could be much easier, well, quicker than that. Yeah, you, you just need proper filmmaking because because they're both because I mean, you know, Chris Pine and Gal Gadot are much better actors than Arnold Schwarzenegger and I'm not sure what the woman's name is who plays Valeria, but yeah, they like their relationship doesn't hold a fucking candle to this one, and this is stuck in the middle of Conan the Barbarian. It's meant to be, you know, <laughs> silly title. Isn't it? It's it's meant, you know, it, it's meant to like if you were to look at it, you'd think, oh, this is the ultimate patriarch movie. But it's like a way more touching love story. Yeah, is like put in the middle of this one, and way more convincing love story with Maybe way your wife didn't think chemistry. so. <laughs> yeah, she she might have been a bit more tuned out by the rest of the stuff by that point. <laughs> Now we're going to do something extremely fun. We're going to play a wonderful game called Who is my daddy and what does he do? (laughs) (laughs) So this is a new feature. Uh, Yuri, did you want to intro? Yeah, well, um, I mean, I think especially with a lot of these sorts of movies, um, sometimes you're watching it to get almost like a good positive role model or like a father figure. Uh, so it's, um, Lord knows our generation needs it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I guess even, even the newer ones. Um, but, uh, so it, it's, it's a little bit of a ripoff from Keeper or Creeper from Side Boob that you guys do. Um, an homage. Yeah. <laughs> sure. We'll call it an homage. Yeah. Why not? Um, but I just kind of thought I'd, I'd present instead of potential partners, I'd present potential dads. So of these people, <laughs> who would you rather this be your dad? And awesome. so with, with everything that that entails of, of what a good father is, in, including I think a very important bit is um, how highly they would rank when you play my dad could beat up your dad. So keep that in mind so as important. well. So important. All right. All right. So what, what, what are our candidates here? All right. Well, first up, of course, you've got Conan. So pros, strong, very, very strong. Excellent fighter. He could definitely beat up everyone's dad. Um, he could give you some tips with the ladies. He's had some good lady experience. You know, that they, they seem to kind of love him. Uh, he's very grounded. He knows what's good in life, namely crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentations of their women. <laughs> it's good. That's a good lesson. It is. It is. Uh, but he's not all like brawn and masculine energy. and He's not that. He, he's got a bit of a gentle touch as well. Uh, so when he was caged and they fed him the woman, he covered her first, 
before changing his mind and getting down to business. Fed him the woman. Well, <laughs> it's true though. The finest breeding stock. That's right. I, yeah, I think in the movie they say they fed him the <laughs> finest breeding stock. Um, <laughs> he, he's all, he, you know, he, he, he tenderly falls in love with Valeria and is quite chivalrous with her, you know. He, um, he, he gives her the big, um, I can't remember what the big gem was called. Eye uh, of the Serpent. Yeah, you know, he, he, he could tell that she wanted it and he just gave it up with no problems. Um, and he ends up rich and very powerful. So they're all the pros. That's all good stuff. That's all great stuff. I'm liking it so far. Uh, the cons is you'd never be able to compete with any of that. So, you know. So you think he'd swoop in on on a, a lady that, that we're trying to tune in on and just kind of like. Not necessarily. No, do you mean like it's like if if your dad's Stephen King, then you're never really going to become Stephen King. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, you're never going to live up to your father. And, you know, Mm. there is a bit of that kind of going on, you know, to varying degrees with, uh, you know, with with us fellas. Um, So, you know. So so we might turn into, uh, like, Joe Biden's son. Yeah. Hunter. You you might turn into Hunter, yeah. Yeah. And, Mm. um, you know, depending on how he goes as a dad, there, there could be, like, the endless back in my day talk would be pretty bad. I mean, it's like your generation has it so soft. I spent the first 25 years of my life putting a giant wheel for no apparent reason and you're complaining about, you know, X, Y, Z. I think if you, if you ever had a gripe. What would you, what, what the hell would you know about the wheel of pain, Exactly, son? exactly. <laughs> And I go, shut up, Dad. It's always about the wheel of pain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and just because you had to push the wheel of pain doesn't mean when I get bullied in high school, it doesn't hurt. You know, yes. you, you might have those sort of stuff. And you'll never be as hard as I was before I became a bored king. Yes, exactly. You know, um, and and also depending on how how much you know he likes to get on the ale or the mead at family gatherings, he might just every now and again taunt you with a riddle of steel, and then if you don't know it, he'll laugh at you and cast you out. Um, I don't know. It. So you know, they're the cons. Crom, I've never prayed to you before. I have no tongue for it. No one, not even you, will remember if we were good men or bad, why we fought or why we died. No. All that matters is that two stood against many. That's what's important. Bagot pleases you, Crom. So grant me one request. Grant me revenge. And if you do not listen, then the hell with you. Going up against him is Thulsa Doom. So, pros, very rich, very powerful, extremely popular. Legions. <laughs> popular. That is true. Massively popular. Legions of followers, many of which are young, nubile women. Um, and you'd have no trouble getting into the most exclusive schools or, or clubs, like other nightclubs or, or kind of, you know, country clubs or whatever. You'd, you know, you'd be in the upper echelons of society, you know, because he's got, he's almost got like the whole Jedi mind trick kind of going. He could kind of talk anyone into anything. He's persuasive. Yeah, very mm. persuasive. Yeah. Uh, not, not as strong. You know, his, his strength isn't, isn't physical. Um, it's something else. Um, so they're his pros. The cons, um, you know, some nights for dinner, you might need to have a cauldron of body parts. You know, that, that oh. just might be dinner some nights. You know, you yeah. never know. So daddy can't you need cook. to eat all of your hand before you can have any dessert. Exactly. Yeah. 
you, you, <laughs> you need to finish off the thigh before you can move on to the balls or, or you know, whatever dessert <laughs> is in that household, I'm not sure. Um, you know, he, he, he may use his persuasive powers against you. You'd, you'd never kind of know if you're your own person, if you're making your own decisions, if you're your own Yeah, man. but if I don't know, who cares? Well, I mean, would you would you <laughs> – Endlessly not it's know, like in China. Or would you just constantly- China controls their people, and if you don't know in China, does, it doesn't matter. Does it? Well, I mean, if it's important to you, you know, that's maybe, maybe not. It might be. Uh, I mean, he he also he does seem a bit wishy washy. He he seems like a little bit fickle in some regards. So when he was younger, he was all about steel, and then he was like, you know, it seemed to turn on a dime. It's like, ah, oh, no, fuck steel. I'm into flesh. So, uh, you know, the, he, true. he might just kind of, you know get bored of you and start a new family or something and you know especially with his popularity i'm sure he'd be boning a lot of those young nubile women that follow him all the he, time he probably has a lot of kids i reckon he probably mm. does so i'm not sure how you know how yeah. many legions of illegitimate children you'd be competing with and you know you, you know you- i know kids who are or oh, they're adults but i know people who have parents that have got several families and yeah it depends which family you're in like i don't know what's worse is it worse to be in the last family or the first family or the middle family i don't know like, well the last family is that you go you've got the family mm. you're like oh well i'm 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 yeah i'm the brady bunch but if it's the, if the first one then you're like oh i can't believe he left us but if you're the second one you're like oh i can't believe he didn't stay with us and he left and he's a cad because he left the first yeah family. i think it'd be worse in the middle it would be worse. Yeah. Um, you know, th- there's no guarantee that, y- you know, Salsa, as you, you know, Father Salsa is going to live a long life. He might, he might just get, you know, quickly beheaded. And um, tell you what, if you don't, if you don't like snakes, you're fucked. So I'm not sure how you guys <laughs> yeah. feel about snakes. But uh, if I you- don't know. I'm not, I'm not really down with snakes. I don't, I'm not as horrified by them as I am of <laughs> spiders. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm with you. I'm I'm definitely no. I'm the other way around. Yeah, really. So spiders are much smaller, and I don't know what it is. Spiders just get me. Like the, during one of the shows, we had a spider in my room. Oh, I heard that was, show. It ruined my life. <laughs> that was the best. That was great. <laughs> it was dreadful. Okay, all right. Well, that's a lot to consider. You haven't mentioned um, him actually turning into a snake. That, that's a pretty cool party trick. <laughs> I mean, you know, again, is is it a is it a positive or is it a negative? Like, I didn't I didn't know where to stick that one. So I mean, it- but wouldn't that mean he doesn't that sort of give him, um, like, you know, ass kicking points because he can become a snake? I mean, he used it to run away. He didn't like. It's total punk bitch move as well. He only became a snake in that scene so he could escape, and then is that why he became a snake? I thought he was gonna like I don't know do some sort of. Well, work, I mean, thought work it was down there, like that they were there, and he was like, "Oh, I'm going to get out of here." Well, I mean that that is how he escaped. There was like the little snake-sized, yeah. giant snake-sized hole, and and also, I mean, um, Conan beat the shit of a much larger snake early on when when they break oh. into the first one. So mm, his, yes. um, you know, if if which dad's going to beat like Conan's still going to beat him up. I I feel as though like on a head-to-head, Conan would slay Tulsa Doom, but. Mm. I feel like the benefits of being part of the Doom family uh, <laughs> would be good. So you, would be good. So the, you, the benefits of that. So you'd rather you'd rather be Thulsa Doom Junior, or I, I think so. Yeah. If it, if it comes with those orgies, then well, 
Who was your daddy? Yeah, well, but that's the thing. <laughs> like, you, you've got the orgies, but, I mean, dad's probably joining in. Mm, it's a bit weird. Well, I don't like – I mean, you don't like it when they drop you off at school, let alone when they get involved <laughs> show, in show your orgy. Show up at your orgy. Yeah, no, that's, or, or that's you know, you, you bring you bring a you know, like a young girl home, and and you know, chances are he's just going to enthrall her and bone her before you get in there. Definitely, definitely, mm. he would do that. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm um, yes, well, well, I don't know, Ricky. What do you think? It's, well, I mean, you you asked the question. So, I, I mean, you, so Ricky, are you are you sticking with uh, Thulsa Doom or or Conan to be your uh, preferred dad? I, I think. Thulsa Doom sticking with my sticking with Thulsa Doom, daddy. All righty. So we we're picking then. Mm. All right. What what one of the okay. other? Who, who who would you rather? Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Well. Oh man, it's it's really tough. Like, I mean, I just think that Tulsa Doom setup is really gross. You know, like I mean, it seems <laughs> it seems fun, but. I just don't think longevity-wise, it's going to give me what I need. So, but it, it, I think that actually just reminds me of one of my favorite lines from Super Time when they first walk into the city. That there's one bit where there's just like a pile of pigs, and he just goes fails, fails, and that's the scene. That's all the scene is. <laughs> the thief says that. Yeah, doesn't yeah. It? yeah. Oh God, that's good. <laughs> that's how I feel. That's how I feel about Tulsa yeah, Doom. So, I, I, in a pinch, I'm going to go. I'll go with Conan. Okay. All right. That's good. One of each. I like it. I like it. Okay. That's wonderful. Excellent feature. I love this feature already. You killed my mother. You killed my father. You killed my people. You took my father's sword. <laughs> <laughs> must have been when I was younger. There was a time, boy, when I searched for steel. And steel meant more to me than gold or jewels. The riddle of steel. Yes. You know what it is, don't you, boy? Shall I tell you? It's the least I can do. Steel isn't strong, boy. Flesh is stronger. Look around you. There, on the rocks, that beautiful girl. Come to me, my child. That is strength, boy. That is power. The strength and power of flesh. What is steel compared to the hand that wields it? Look at the strength of your body. The desire in your heart. I gave you this. If I could uh, stay with the dad theme, um, just talking about Arnie's actual dad. Um, so Arnie and his dad had a very, very bad relationship. Um, so his dad was kind of physically and mentally abusive. He was he hated Arnie's bodybuilding. Like wasn't supportive at all. Used to give him shit about it all the time. Um, and it got to the point where, uh, so, uh, um, Arnie held, had an older brother, Meinhardt, um, which his father favored, uh, and the relationship got so bad. He, he picked the wrong one. He did pick the wrong one, but that's with how bad his relationship with his dad was. That's actually why he left Austria and he didn't go back for either his brother's or his father's funeral. How far into his success did they see? Uh, not 
much. So I'm not sure when his brother died, but I do remember. So they didn't see like you know Raw Deal Terminator. I don't think they Terminator. saw the movies because when his father died, I'm pretty sure. Have you guys seen Pumping Iron, the bodybuilding doco that kind Long of time ago, yeah. put Arnie in that? So Arnie talks about his father's funeral and not going to it during that doco. Wow. Um, so he would have dead and buried before his success. Mm. Well, I mean. You know, what we know from earlier, he was already uh, a millionaire and um, that doco was filmed during his sixth Mr. Olympia win. So depending on how you measure success, definitely before his biggest- Women and money. Movie star success. Yeah. Well, he, he had money. That's the thing he had, you know. Just telling you what, you asked me, you said, how do I measure it? That's how I measure it. <laughs> Very good. Um, uh, and But the biggest thing about his father, full-blown Nazi- Yes, I've read this. <laughs> really? I've read this. Member of that's mem- them's fighting words. Oh, and not just—I mean, proper fighting words. You don't—you don't mean the way in which the left says it now. How like Tom Cruise is a Nazi because he made Maverick. I mean, yeah. he applied to the Nazi Party in 1938. He was accepted in 1941. He was a part um, of Hitler's brown coats. I'm not sure what they actually are. And he also served in the Wehrmacht, which is the—he was a fighter pilot. In wow. some of the biggest conflicts, so invasion of Poland, invasion of France, siege of Leningrad, so wow. huge, like mm. Nazi in in every sense of the word. Not you know, n- not you you misgendered me, so you're a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised we haven't heard. Those people are also bad. I'm surprised we haven't heard some of this like during his his you know his his run in, in politics that people come out and go, oh, you're a closet Nazi, look at your dad. Yeah. Me, well, he apparently like a little bit of it came out recently because um, Arnie had some comments about uh, the current uh, war in Ukraine oh, okay. um, saying about how uh, apparently his, his father came back from the Leningrad in uh, siege, which was his seemed to be his final battle, but kind of broken and broken back and mentally broken and kind of apparently he started having regrets about what he had done after that. So, um, but anyway, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's Arnie's dad. Uh, so I think Conan, well, I'm not choosing him. No, we're not. No, <laughs> not no choosing one's him. choosing him. Definitely not choosing him. Um, he doesn't have any orgies or anything. No, so no. I don't get it. What a loser. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they did. They did also lose the big one. So, yeah, yeah, they did. It's true. Yeah. So on that on that light jovial note that I've <laughs> yes. left us. Well, let's get trivial here. I've got some trivia. Um, there's so much trivia. I, I had to stop reading it. It just was taking up all my time. Uh, <laughs> but so I'll, st- I'll start with the best bit of trivia. Okay. So the sword's inscription reads: "Suffer no guilt, ye who wield this in the name of Crom." Now, while he was governor, Arnie displayed it behind his chair in the Reagan cabinet room. That's awesome. Yeah, but now he gets it out when it, he does these videos now. Oh, yeah. He does these videos where, you know, like for the January 6th thing, like he's a, got, he, he's a traditional um, conservative. So 
he a Mitt Romney style yeah. conservative. So he he you know really hates Trump and all that stuff. And uh, which is funny because I mean, what what on, on one level he's quite similar. Like you know he can't say yeah, if there's one thing if there's one thing I really hate it's people who are garish and uh, over the top. <laughs> yeah. and, and you and you go oh, well I don't know. So he does these videos where and he'll brandish props and say yeah. you know like when I played Conan I didn't need to overthrow the government. And you go, okay. And so it's a bit, it's a bit gross. Yeah. I know, I know. He should just not do that. Just shut up. Uh, okay, so the Tree of Woe. The tree was made up of a framework of wood and steel encased in layers of styrofoam and plaster. Um, so to aid visual continuity over the three days of filming, uh, it could be rotated to account uh, for different lighting. Uh, Arnie sat on a disguised bicycle seat with fake nails driven into his wrists and ankles. Uh, real vultures were secured to the tree branches whilst uh, a mechanical one was made uh, for the one that attempts to feed on him and he, he, he bites the neck. But that was also, the mechanical one was actually made, it did have some sort of body parts of a vulture. As soon as, as well. you said it, I imagined they shoved parts up a real vulture. <laughs> 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 Back then, yes. yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure he looks like he punches that camel. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I oh, you know, in 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 the uh, in the sequel, kind of the destroyer, the camel, the camel gets gets his revenge. <laughs> yes, spits on him. Yeah, I remember that. Just yes. maybe the only bit I like in that movie. Um, so Sean Connery was originally uh, approached uh, to be Thulsa Doom, but he passed on the project. That would have been good. Still, it, yeah, it would have been good. Yeah. Um, so James L. Jones was a last-minute addition because of his commitments on Broadway. Uh, he actually became friends with Arnie, uh, and uh, he helped. Uh, well, he uh, Arnie helped Jones stay in shape, and Jones uh, coached Schwarzenegger on acting. But uh, Arnie had weapons training, martial arts training, and horseback riding lessons from specialists. Um, he trained with an 11-pound 11 11 broadsword two hours a day for three months. Uh, each broadsword cost $10,000. Um, he also learned climbing techniques and how to fall and roll and jump from 15 feet in the air. Uh, and apparently they videotaped all of this. And uh, he stated that uh, his training was as intense as training for uh, bodybuilding competitions. Wow. So I also read that he actually had to uh, – he had to tone down a little bit. He was too big for Conan. He actually lost weight to to play Conan. Wow. Yes. Too big. Uh, I've got some trivia about that to jump in. Yeah, he he, he toned, down, toned down a fair bit from his bodybuilding days. Um, but the thing is, is that during the filming of Conan, he actually went back to bodybuilding and won his final and seventh uh, Mr. Olympia title, uh, which was very controversial. He'd retired five years previously. Uh, he apparently rocked up on the day. None of the other competitors knew that he was going to be a part of it. He just kind of wow. rocked up on the day and, and they kind of, you know, said, oh, yeah, I'm going out. And apparently none of them believed him. Uh, it was apparently one of the most controversial Mr. Olympia wins. Like a lot of them thought he won just because he was uh, becoming a movie star at the time and he'd become big off Pumping yeah. Iron. And um, a lot of his fellow competitors actually boycotted the Mr. Olympia contest the following year because he just wasn't anywhere near uh, in the shape that 
from his uh, heyday of bodybuilding. So I think there was oh, maybe like yeah, a was- 30 pound difference in size. And, and if you, yeah, if you look at the side, but um, side photos, cause apparently the director wanted him to look a bit more athletic than just like this giant hulking mass. Athletic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think it was that star factor that, that got him the win. I think. Yeah. So it was very controversial. Mm. Uh, so, real arrows were shot into the snake right over Arnie's head. Uh, the director, John Milius, uh, shot them himself after it was determined he was the best archer in the crew. Wicked. So, <laughs> Wicked. so it didn't spring for like a, a an archery specialist. They're just like, all right, let's see who's best at this in the crew. <laughs> How close did they get to fucking Arnie's head? Uh, they were shooting him over his head. If I shot an arrow within five meters yes. of you, that would be too close. Yep. You'd say, hey, stop that. Yeah. This was close enough for it to be in shot with him. Yeah. So Oliver Stone's script placed the story in a post-apocalyptic future rather than a distant past. I've read the script. That that was abandoned. It's a good script. It's some of the best prose you are ever going to read in your life. Oliver Stone is a a fucking genius. Uh, It's a coke-fueled nightmare. I'm sure he doesn't remember writing one (laughs) sentence of it. Uh, it's totally unfilmable. It's got mutants and demons yes, and fire yeah. and it's just the craziest stuff. Some of the iconic stuff in the movie is has been lifted, a few things, uh, and I totally credit him for that. Um, but it's a, it's a stellar. It's only when you read Oliver Stone's scripts that you really do start to feel the gap between mere mortals and, and true you know, creative genius, mm. and and his script is is definitely worth a, worth a read. It's total madness. Mm. But I didn't know that it was set in the future until today. I was like, oh wow, that's even crazier. Like, yeah, you know, setting it in an apocalypse, <laughs> like yeah. you know, Star Wars. I guess you know, a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it it's interesting because it would be sort of almost like a a regression, a societal regression back to like yes. middle age times. Yeah, Mad Max. Uh, well, it's a bit bit Mad Maxy, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so John Milius originally wanted uh, Arnie to be the narrator, but executives at Universal obviously had a problem with it because of his accent, and uh, they got Mako Racism. instead. Racism's always been a problem. <laughs> so uh, when this film was released, audiences filled up three auditoriums. A third of the audience were made up of bodybuilders. People lined up around the block in 16 cities for up to eight hours to see it. Wow. That was just, yeah, bring it back. Bring back the, the tentpole movie. Hmm? Yeah. And it wasn't just children or 45-year-old children. Mm. That's right, yeah, with, with you know? fake lightsabers and yeah, that's right. Yeah, Darth Vader masks. So uh, let's talk a little bit about reviews. So from the research that I've done, the critics were unanimously divided on this film. For some, the violence is beyond the pale. For others, they think it's the best thing about the movie. Uh, some think... Uh, Arnold is a decent actor. Others hate him. Some think that his film betrays the original pulp novels and comics, whereas I read other people who thought it was keeping in the spirit of the source material. So uh, Ebert gave it three stars out of four. Uh, He calls the movie a triumph of production design, set decoration, special effects, and makeup. Uh, He says Conan is the perfect fantasy for the alienated pre-adolescent. He says Conan the Barbarian is, in fact, a very... uh, nearly perfect visualization of Conan, of the Conan legend. So he says the movie's casting is ideal with Arnold Schwarzenegger is inevitably cast as Conan and uh, Sandal uh, Bergman as Valeria. 
Physically, they look like artists' conceptions of themselves. Schwarzenegger's uh, slight Teutonic accent is actually even an advantage since Conan lived, of course, in the eons before American accents. Not before Aust- Austrian accents. Yeah, though. before Austrian accents, exactly. <laughs> so b- before American accents, but not before English? Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's the right. other thing, yeah. It's, I, I guess, uh, on the whole, it's, it's, it's a silly debate really about this in this movie you know Hmm. yeah Um, so uh he he ends the review talking um about something that disturbed him okay so he says there's one aspect of the film a film i'm disturbed by it involves the handling of thulsa doom the villain he's played here by the fine black actor james l jones who brings power and conviction to the role that seems inspired in equal parts by hitler jim jones and goldfinger But when Conan and Doom meet at the top of the mountain of power, it was for me a rather unsettling image to see this Nordic Superman confronting a black and when Doom's head, no, no, lowercase b, and when Doom's head was sliced off and contemptuously thrown down the flight of stairs by the muscular blonde Conan, I found myself thinking that Lenny Riffenstahl could have directed the scene and that Goebbels might have applauded it. Jesus, that is <clears throat> that is big, big talk. I know. And then he says, am I being too sensitive? Perhaps. But when Conan appeared in the pulps of the 1930s, the character suggested in certain unstated ways the same sort of Nordic super race myths that have been peddled in Germany. These days we are more uh, innocent again, and Conan is seen as pure fantasy like his British cousin Tarzan or his contemporary Flash Gordon. My only reflection is that at a time when there are no roles for blacks in Hollywood, again, lowercase b, if they are not named Richard Pryor, it is a little unsettling to see a great black actor assigned to a role in which he's beheaded by a proto-Nordic Avenger. It's an incredible role. It's an incredible role. Like the soft bigotry of low expectations. James L. Jones is an incredible, powerful performer. And um, he that's one of the greatest villains in the cinema. Yeah. What, what, what a scary, incredible, you know, role. Yeah. And um, uh, I think that, that Ebert's reaching here and, and you know, I mean, it was certainly a different time. I, I agree with him about, you know, there being limited roles, but that doesn't take away from the great humanist performance. This This is... He's treated as someone, uh, you know, if it's good enough for um, uh, white people to be villains, then it's good enough for black people to be villains. Yeah, Anyone can exactly. be a villain. The, the, the problem with a lot of the, this um, uh, sort of race hustler stuff or, or this stuff, this left lefty extremism is that it desperately wants to cast people like James L. Jones as a victim. You know, we've heard Morgan Freeman talk about this. What does yeah. he say about all this shit? He says, you know, um, you know how we can stop uh, racism. Uh, stop talking about it. Yeah, yeah. Get, <laughs> get rid of Black History Month. He says. Yeah, get rid of Black History Month. So it's one of those things where, um, you know, this is this is just one of those. Uh, I think Ebert's exposing himself. I just yeah. be like, I'd be like, Ebert, look, man, if you've got a problem that you need to work out, like I'm not racist, so I don't know, but if you've got issues that you need to figure out, like go and do that. Go and get some black friends. Get do, out there. do you think it's interesting that he has this perspective in 1980, what is it, 1982, 81? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's. It, I thought it was interesting that, that the debate's been going on for- For that long, yeah. For that long. Uh, I guess it feels you know, like because it's it's so aggressive now, it feels like people have only been banging on about this for like five minutes. 
But is there another way to make the claim that there's not enough black people with great roles in Hollywood than branding John Millius yes. as Lenny Reapen yeah. style and and associating him <laughs> with the Nazi Party? Yeah. And, and 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 you know that's the sort of stuff that um, I would say to someone like you. But I'd say, how dare you? How yeah. dare you yeah. say that? And and I'd appreciate it, sir. If you would apologise, well, I think he could said. have made that point by showing how positive and, and what a great role it was, and mm. how good uh, the character is just so amazing. But then you know his his James L. Jones performance is amazing too, and like you say, you know a great great villain. Like then that could be that could be the justification for because saying, he's going down you know, that route of moralism where where what he's doing is saying that black people or people of color or whatever are are what only allowed to play. Uh, morally good characters is that what the cinema is is that yeah. what art is is and what the fuck are morals on screen anyway the, the, the this is one of those things moralism on screen sucks the big one like all the films we love the most are the films with, with ambiguous morals like the end of goodfellas ray liotta may he rest in peace at the end of goodfellas uh yuri when he's there out the front of his house i mean what the fuck is the morals in that scene where we're like jesus this guy's been like done a lot of bad stuff and he survives i don't know how i feel about it well i mean I re- but it's great i remember right? him feeling bad for him that he's not living a lavish life after being a lifelong criminal you know what yes. i mean and and ratting on all his friends and don't you feel bad a bit don't you feel a bit feel like, really you, you feel a bit like i'm like oh you poor guy you have to live like me and everyone else i know you poor thing and then the greatest trick. Let's not go off to, into this track too much. But isn't the greatest trick that a sin? Uh, Martin Scorsese did is getting you to feel how great it would be to be a gangster and how disappointed you would be to have it taken away. And you go, oh man, that makes me feel implicates me, right? So that's what the cinema can do. And I just find this this moralism because when I taught um, uh, screenwriting, uh, the generations that I taught had a they had a big block. They could not engage with cinema or TV or stories in any other way other than morals or politics. You know, they could not engage with it. That, like when you, when I said, "Oh, look," um, to be honest with you, like David Lynch, um, yeah, he he doesn't care what you think. And they'd go, "What?" And I'd go, "He doesn't care what you think. He 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 wants to hurt you. He wants you. To, he wants you to not be okay. He wants you to watch this movie, Eraserhead Head or whatever, and to be damaged and not okay. And they'd lose their minds. They'd be like, "What do you mean?" Like, so they would only be able to say, "Goody baddie, this is good. This portrayal's good. That black black person good, white person bad." And then like that's all approved, right? But the best kind of stuff is all mixed up. And and so, I, I'm, I, I mean, it's got us talking, but I, I find that this comment by Ebert to be really tough to take. But also, he's fuck you, Ebert. He, he's really taking away from James Earl Jones, I think, because yeah, yeah, Jones is far and away the best actor in this movie, far and away, yes. and he gives totally. uh, yeah, it's a it's a fantastic character, it's a fantastic performance. I think a lot of the character James would have brought to the table, and you, you know, it, it's it's a movie where everyone else is cast for their physicality. So you've got you know not just Arnie. Everyone else around him, it's like they're all either retired or current bodybuilders, all these like giant, you know, Nordic blonde haired guys, these like hugely physically imposing. And this relatively out of shape dude in James Earl Jones just has power over all of them. And he just seems, even though when he's in his armor, he seems like 
Tubby, he seems he brings so much weight and power and authority and presence to the screen. Like, why don't you yes. fucking talk about that, mate? Why don't you talk about yep. the the wonderful work he did, as opposed to just go, oh, victim of 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 racism or something, and 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 compare the other guys to, you know, Arnie's dad's co-workers. There's warmth and fire. Do you not wish to warm yourself by my fire? They said you would come. From the north, a man of great strength. A conqueror. A man who would someday be king by his own hand. Zamora. Crossroads of the world. You will find what you want in Zamora. We'd have to do locker room talk, okay? This is this is uh, where we talk about the problematic aspects of the film. Uh, it could be anything, toxic masculinity, whatever comes up. Yuri, jump in with anything that, that uh, comes up. But I've got a couple of things here to go through. Witchy woman. So one of the most truthful elements of the film is the fact that Conan nails the witch, you see? See, when it's clear from the get-go that she... Clearly, this woman is dangerous and fucking crazy, all right? From the moment we meet her, you know she's crazy. This is 100% on the money because we've all looked across the room and said, that woman's fucking crazy. Smash cut to later, you're going home together, all right? So because, unfortunately, a dash of crazy is not only what we like, it'll be like, it's what we need, okay? So um, I thought that was very truthful. The biggest charge against the movie is the hulking Mr. Universe body of Schwarzenegger. So, in fact, all the male – well, it is disgusting. In fact, all the male bodies are somewhat idealized. I mean, I read something recently. Did you guys read this about bodybuilding being connected with the the alt-right or like if you're you're a – you know, it's a conservative or right-wing thing to be interested in your body or bodybuilding. Now, I mean, think about that for a second, you know. Arnie – is not like the feminized weeds out there. All due respect to uh, that that little kid from Spider Man. Uh, he's a hulking man, and that's beyond the pale. You know, men should need to have weak shoulders, soft bodies, and be ripe for a good pegging. Mm. What about Limp so, What about world's strongest man competitions? Would that would that also be alt right? And but this is don't don't you find that MMA, MMA build bodybuilding anything that's that's sort of even sport is the lowest tier of this, but sport and anything to the to the more hardcore of that is you you are pegged as being oh oh you like to work out, dear? Well, I know what that means. And you go, what does it mean? I mean, the the reason why I ask is is one of the current top world's strongest man competitors is uh, openly gay. Okay, so well, that's good. But he, but he must that's be, not enough nowadays. He, he must be the. Yeah. Whatever, whatever the the version of the the black face of white supremacy is for sexual <laughs> the preference. black face of white supremacy. <laughs> whatever <laughs> version of yeah. that, r- r- you know. Oh yes, yes. Uh, oh, that's like Larry to- Elder. I remember they. That's what they said about Larry. Yeah, Elder yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, so I guess. Um. So he, here's a big one: survival of the fittest. 
this is one of the messages of the film. We've already sort of talked about it a little bit. This revels in the Darwinian idea of, of survival of the fittest. Um, and it even begins with that quote, uh, that uh, which does not kill us makes us stronger from, from Nietzsche. And, you know, we see this play out and we enjoy it. We love that Conan is the sole, the sole, sole survivor of the Wheel of Pain. And we love that he's the, the, the winner in the gladiator ring. Take out the death and the killing for a second. What we're looking at here is excellence, right? The idea that some people are better at things uh, than others is not a popular idea in some circles today. Now, I'm not staging, before you try and cancel me, I'm not staging a defense of eugenics, okay? I'm not saying, so hold that hate mail for a second. I'm just saying that Arnold has proven that he's the best at, you know, bodybuilding, for example, or whatever, and Conan's good at what he's good at. Um, a mixture of genes and, and hard work. But I feel like the very idea of excellence is undervalued today. You know what I mean? So, I mean, fuck it. Let's go there. So, Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Cover. Now, I'm not a fan. Maybe we don't need it. I'm willing to say say that. But clearly the women who appear on this magazine cover, they work hard. We agree on that? Like, if you want to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Magazine Cover, you are working hard. Because to look that way is a full-time job. You know what I mean? Mm. In 2022, we've said that you need to all look this up, the 2022 cover for this year. Oh, I've seen it. BBW, you've seen it? Oh, I've seen seen it. Well, so BBWs get to be on the cover now. This is the attitude out there. Survival of the fattest, okay? (laughs) Well, it it was like the the, um, published uh, article about fat bodybuilding because a fat body is a built body. Oh, yes, is I've it? heard of this fat bodybuilding thing. Yes. That, that was right. one of the, um, from the triumvirate of um, basically trolls, you know, the, 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 the three, the, the two guys and the woman, the professors who published all those ridiculous articles. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, P- Peter Bogosian. James, yes. James Lindsay and Bogosian. It was one of yep. theirs. Great. Yes. Well, there you go. But you know what I mean? Don't you think that this, get, this idea that. You know, because you really see this in in westerns as well. When you watch westerns, like John Wayne westerns, which are fucking wicked, by the way, uh, there's this idea of being good enough. Is he good enough? That's they say that, and that, and it's all about being the fastest, the best. Mm, you know, yeah. being good enough to survive. And if you're not, you're dead. And this idea has been completely devalued. I don't understand why. It's well-meaning people trying to you know give some other people a go, and I get that, but it's not particularly interesting to look at on screen. It's and it, the stories aren't very good. Isn't it because the only way to get good at something is by press, oppressing others? <laughs> that's right. But that's the thing. They'd say, oh, yeah, so you're good at gunslinging, are you? Who did you white oppress privilege. to get that way? Is that, yeah, yeah, you're shooting people down with your white privilege. And you go, <laughs> is that what you're taking out of this movie? So, so clearly, Conan Definitely. wasn't the, the strongest and most resilient on that, the, the wheel of pain. He, he was just the most oppressive and he just oppressed. The whitest. He was the, the whitest. Yeah. yeah. The whitest. The most privileged. Man. The most privileged. He had all the privilege. Yes. He did, and we saw what happened, and it made a good movie. So, Conan's piece of crumpet this is the last thing I've got, Yuri. I mentioned that when Conan is on his education kick in the East, uh, people bring him a half-naked girl, and what happens, Yuri, when he, when they bring her? Well, f- first he covers her nice and gently, yes. and then he takes okay. her out of the gawking eyes of the people, and then he uncovers her, and, and a little smile creeps across his face before he uh, leans out of camera. He was taken to the East. A great prize where the war masters would teach him the deepest secret. Language and writing were made available. The poetry of Kitai, 
the philosophy of Sung. And he also came to know the pleasures of women when he was bred to the finest stock. So, I have a question. Is is Conan here for both of you? A, a caring gentleman, or B, a two-faced scheming misogynist who'll do whatever he can to get that ass? <laughs> I think he's one of those. What, what do you call those guys that are fake feminists? That just Like a woke fisher. W- yeah, woke. he's a woke fisher. That's what he is. Okay, so that's that's the third option. Which I haven't. <laughs> maybe that's B, maybe. What do you think, Yuri? Gentleman? Caring gentleman? I mean, Yeah. <laughs> you stick by that. You stick by that. That's good. <laughs> Great stuff. Ah, awesome. Excellent. Well, any other business? Yeah. Uh, there's a bit of cultural appropriation going on in this movie. Uh, so the the famous quote, crush your enemies, see them driven before you and hear the lamentations of the women, is um, attributed to uh, Genghis Khan or Genghis Khan. I'm not sure how to pronounce it properly. I've heard both. And, That's racist. Um, Somehow. Somehow. Uh, Subutai, the thief, is... Well, first of all, Subutai was one of Genghis's uh, main generals. So they've kind of stolen that. Uh, So that character should be a Mongol. And, and, you know, when when Conan is training in the East, it does look like they've taken him to Mongolia and then he's training with um, Genghis and his um, generals and followers. Uh, But Subutai is played by Jerry Lopez. Mm. Who doesn't sound particularly Mongolian to me? Mm. He's a no. surfer. Yeah, surfer. Yeah. yeah. Also, and his a sword master, his swordmaster is Japanese as well. So, I mean, mm. that just you know, if we're in China, that's, that's different. <laughs> it's all bad. Well, I don't know. I feel like yeah, the Jerry Lopez one is funny. is is interesting though because that's just that's again. I feel like because remember they that new film came out. What's called In the Heights or whatever. It was like this. You know, uh, musical by the guy who did Hamilton, uh, and he filmed this movie. It was everyone was into it, and then it had like all uh, you know uh, um, Latinos in it and Hispanic people and whatever. And sorry, what was that? What it, was that phrase you used? I, I said Latino, and I don't care. <laughs> I don't care anymore. I'm not saying Latinx or whatever the other thing is because they have said that it's a slur, and I don't care if Spielberg says it. He is being, um, he doesn't get it, okay? Silly old fool. So, anyway, Latinos, and all people talked about in this movie, which is celebration of their culture and everything like that, was, oh, oh, you know, it'd be better if there was some more dark-skinned Hispanic people in it. So, so you can't, can't escape. Win. You can't win. You cannot, it, you will never be woke enough. You cannot escape criticism. People were like, yeah, I know that this was like almost exclusively like, you know, uh, you know, made by people of color and, you know, whatever, but it'd be better if these other people were in it. And you go, so that to me is like a, it's like an, an abalone feeding frenzy of sharks. It's just like eating each other. Happened, the same thing happened in French Revolution, right? They, 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 they hacked off the, the revolutionaries, hacked off the heads of the clergy, you know, the aristocracy, and then two minutes later, each other. They were just like, y- you, you're next. What, me? I set up the guillotine. <laughs> I invented so, that uh, shit. Yeah, yeah. so <laughs> this is what happens in these shitty movies. Well, at, at least these days we've, we've, learnt, we've seen what happened in the French Revolution. We've learned from that mistake, and it's not like we're following the, the bullshit thoughts of, of a couple of lazy French assholes from the 70s now and, and basing what society should be on that, right? 
Nicely done, Yuri. I've, <laughs> I refuse to go along any further. That was a re- wonderful reference to those postmodern idiots who ruined our lives. I think we should leave it there. Um, what a what a great film today. I actually would like to. I wanted to talk about John Milius, the director, and I found a better way of doing that. So on our next mano a mano, I would like to do, if you would, if you would indulge me, uh, John Milius wrote a script for a Dirty Harry film called Magnum Force. So this will this will bring us into the world of Clint Eastwood, who we haven't we haven't uh, done, uh, and also bear in mind that John Milius. Uh, well, he alleges that he pretty much gave them everything for the first Dirty Harry and and that he was not credited. And so Magnum Force is definitely one of the best. And then I'll, I'm going to give you guys, all, you know, a big uh, intro to John Milius and we'll be all about him um, at that point. So, but but I just, yeah, I thought, I thought I think today, uh, what, what, what a film, hey? Mm. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Um, so with the John Milius uh I guess, uh, retrospective that we may or may not. Um, will we be uh, discussing John Goodman's character on Big Lebowski? <laughs> yes. So, yes, absolutely. So, uh, as, as Yuri's pointed out, John Milius is uh, is the inspira- one of the inspirations for uh, Walter in The Big Lebowski, uh, which I think that says everything right there. That's who, that's who, that's who I want making films, mm. that guy. Definitely. How to sign off this show. Well, we said what we said. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Till next time, you pussies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Till next time, you pussies. (laughs) Long live the new flesh. Do it. Survival of the fattest, okay?